0: All right, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4. Hey Mike, can you see if can you grab a couple of those sheets, those half sheets out there? Anyone need a copy of tonight's handout? Okay, we have a few. We have been working through the book of 1 John. And it helps us to um, make the distinction between what a true believer looks like and what an unbeliever looks like. John speaks in very clear terms. He speaks in, in black and white terms, we could say. You are either of God or you're of the devil. And um, what we'll see tonight is that, that we must love each other. As believers, we ought to love each other. And this is a challenge that I think all of us should take part in. It's not something that we should just do uh, one time, just show some love to somebody within the church. It's not something that we should just do for three weeks. We should love each other for, for years, for as long as God gives us life, that we should display our love for God by loving others. Have you ever put yourself in the shoes or should I say sandals of Abraham when he had to show... That he loved God in ways that we find hard to imagine, that he had to take his only son and and put him as a sacrifice, offer him up as a sacrifice to God. Um, it, it's hard to imagine why somebody would would do that, but it, it can only happen if you really loved God, and I think Abraham obviously did. But. Imagine what God had to do when He offered up His Son as a sacrifice. When God offered Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins, as an atonement for our sins, what was was in God that made Him willing to do something like that? To, To sever this relationship temporarily. What was it in God that made Him do something like that? Well, I think we can answer that question when we think of what sacrifice means. When we think of the sacrifice of Abraham, it showed obviously how much he loved God, but it also showed how much he trusted Him. And when God gave His only Son as a sacrifice, there was a part of God that suffered. There's a part of God that that longed to have that relationship restored with His Son, but He was willing to do that because He loved you. God was willing to give up His own Son as a sacrifice because He loved you. And uh, obviously Christ made an an eternal payment for our sins. And ultimately, what we see in the cross is that God really loves people. And that's what we find in the most famous of all verses in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How God? In what way would you show that that He gave His only Son to be a sacrifice for our sins, and so that we, if we believe in Him, will have eternal life? Let's read in First John chapter four, verse seven, because I think the love that God has for us really becomes a motivation for our love for for Him and for others. First John chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The question that I want to answer for us tonight is why should believers love each other? Why should we love each other as believers? And there are primarily six reasons why we should love each other as believers. They're grouped into two main reasons. The first reason is because love is from God. And the second reason is that love is an expression of our salvation. So let's begin with verses 7-12 through and see that we need to love others because love is from God. The first thing that we see there in verse 7 is that Love is a part of who God is. It is part of the makeup of who God is. His essence, we could say. The essence of, of a person is what makes that person what he is. An essence of a dog is the characteristics that make that thing a dog. The um, same thing is true with God. God is made up of, the, of His characteristics. And one of the characteristics of God, one of His attributes, is this thing of love, this idea of love. Look at the end of verse 8. For God is love. This is a clear expression of who God is. We've seen in chapter 1, turn back there with me and I want to show you another place in in which John shows us that God is something. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. So I think the first part of this book is talking about that idea of God being light. John now has transitioned to the second part of this book talking about God as love. And because God is love, we also should love. The reason that we should love is because God is love. You see, love is inherent in all that God is and does. John does not say that God shows love or God displays love or He gives love to other people, although those things are all true. What does he say there? He said that God is love. You see, it's, it's, it's part of who He is. And so the natural correlation there for us is if we are a part of God, if we are partakers of His divine nature as 1 Peter chapter 1 says, if we are partakers of His divine nature, we also should love just like God is love. And that's why John says in verse 7, He gives us a command, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He tells us positively why we should be loving other people in verse 7 and then negatively in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Believers have God living in them. Look back at chapter 3 verse 24. Verse 24 of chapter 3 says, "...the one who keeps His commandment abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. All believers at regeneration receive the Holy Spirit, so that God now lives within us. And now God is able to do a work within us, uh, unlike we were able to before we were saved." But not only is God living in us, His seed abides in us. Look back to chapter 3, verse 9. His seed is in us. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, No one who is born of God practices sin because His seed, God's seed, abides in Him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. And that is the idea, as we talked about when we were going through that, that he cannot continually sin. He cannot continue in a pattern of sin. So because our seed or God's seed abides in us, this is basically the idea that God has imparted the new birth to us, that He has imparted spiritual life to us, and as a result, we are now able to follow Him. We are able to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. Titus chapter two verse twelve and say yes to, to faithfulness to God, to the truth, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So, since God lives in us, and God has done this work within us, and because God is love, then love should dwell in us. You see, God is love, God dwells in us, love should dwell in us as well. That is a natural thing that happens to all believers. Do you realize that? All believers love, unlike unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot love uh, genuinely. They cannot love like believers, certainly. They cannot genuinely give of themselves. We'll get to what, what exactly love is when it's displayed in God, but but this is something that is unique to the body of believers. And that is the beauty of the local church, that believers are are working together, overlooking differences, Okay, not to the point of allowing sin or tolerating sin. I'm not suggesting that, but... Overlooking differences because they are loving to each other and working together, showing the love of God really in the body of Christ. So because God's nature exhibits love as his, as one of His chief characteristics, God's children also should reflect that love. So before we were saved, God, we had an old nature. We had this tendency towards sin where we could not say yes to righteousness. And when God saved us, He gave us a new person. That's what—that's why we call it regeneration. It is the idea of imparting spiritual life to us who were spiritually dead. He imparts life to us. And now we're able to follow after Him and obey Him and follow Him in love. Now obviously, the old nature remains. We still have this remnant of sin within us where we um, are sometimes straying from God and turning towards the world, but but that should be getting reduced as we grow in Christ. Let me uh, give for you the definition of God's love. It's there on your handout. It says, "...that in God which moves Him to give Himself and His gifts spontaneously, voluntarily, righteously, and eternally for the good of personal beings, regardless of their merit or response." First thing I want you to notice there is that God's love is voluntary. God's love is voluntary. He is not under obligation to love you. Do you realize that? God would have been just as correct or righteous in staying up in heaven and punishing everyone to an eternal hell. He would have been just as righteous to do that. God is not obligated to love you, He chooses to out of His own free will, out of his own desire, according to his plan. Uh, uh, he does it, I think, in order to show the the, um, the insurpassable riches of his mercy, Ephesians chapter 1 says, that that he can show us, he can show other people too, how great of a God he is, because why, God, would you save the very people who put your son to death? I mean, it it should boggle our minds really to think that God would be so loving to us. And so God is not obligated to love us. He does it voluntarily. The second thing I want you to notice is that God's love is righteous. It does not condone sin or or do wrong for the sake of the loved one. Rather, He is light as we saw in chapter 1-5. So He cares about the truth. His love does not cancel out His holiness. It works in connection with His holiness. So that he, God, because He is holy, he has a desire to see righteousness done. So He cannot just ignore that just because He loves us so much. I mean, we often get the picture of this grandpa who you know, has a grandson who is involved in all sorts of sin and he just says, come on in here and I just love you anyway. That's not the way God is. God demands that sin be paid for. But God's love uh, does is does act like that, Grandpa, in a way. Because he does ignore those things, but he doesn't do it in an unjust way. You see, that that the penalty for that sin still has to be taken care of. And so God's love is righteous. God's love is also eternal. It never fails. God's love is. God loves us with an everlasting love. Jeremiah thirty one three. And then I want you to notice in that definition that God's love is expressed towards people, not towards animal animals, not towards nature, although God does show some benevolence towards animals and, and creation. But ultimately his God his love is toward people. His love is toward personal beings. His love is manifested in in people. And then the last thing is that God's love is unique. God loves a world of sinners. Who else would love a group of people who were in such defiant opposition against Him other than God? We find that hard to do in our own lives, but ultimately that's what God did when He saved us. So, what... What does God demand of us? In verses 7 and 8, what we see there is basically um, three things. We see, let us love one another, for love is from God. And then, the one who loves is born of God and knows God. And then verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. And so the point for us is those who are of God love because God is love. Because love is a part of who God is, we also should love because God is within us. So the first reason that we should love is because love is a part of the essence of God. The second reason is found in verses 9-11, through and that is we should love other believers because of the example of God. Verse 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins loved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another as we've seen before God poured out his wrath on his son in place of us so God sent his son so that we might live through Christ so that we would be able to have spiritual life now that i want you to notice in verse 9 that it's referred that Jesus Christ is referred to as the only begotten son Sometimes this phrase can be a little bit confusing as if God birthed Jesus in some way or or um, similar to what we think of when Adam begat Seth. We think the the word begotten also it has the idea of begetting. So we think that God somehow begat Jesus. But that's not the case at all. I think a better way to understand that phrase and per- perhaps a better translation is simply that he is God's unique Son, that Jesus is His special Son. Uh, we could say His one and only Son, His His special, unique one and only Son that God put up as a sacrifice for our sins. And it's not that Jesus, or it's not that Christ had exist, had not existed before the time that He came to the earth. Jesus Christ, or Christ, I should say, the second person of the Godhead was alive for all of eternity. But it wasn't until He took on a body that He was able to die. And so that's what God did for us. He, he sacrificed His Son. He, he made the payment for our sin. God's love is not an abstract principle. He doesn't say, alright, you believers, go out and love. Hope you, hope you do well at that. No, God first shows us His love to us. Look at verse um, 10. Or I'm sorry, eleven. Beloved, if we love if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then um, verse fourteen says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. See, God doesn't just expect us to do something that He has not already done. He's already shown us His love, and now He's saying, Look what I did, now you go do it. So that is a motivation that we should have, that, that God has already given us this example. And by the way, I want you to notice in verse 10 that God's love is not prompted by our love. God is not up there going, wow, what great sacrifices they've made for me. What can I offer them in return? Sometimes that's the way we, we view our love for God, don't we? We think, God, do you realize how much I'm doing for you? Are you watching this? Are you recognizing all these things that I'm doing that nobody else has seen? so what are you going to do for me? But you see, the only reason that we love is because God loved us first. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The idea of propitiation is simply a satisfaction of God's wrath. God has a just wrath on all those who are opposed to Him and so in order for that wrath to be satisfied, there had to be a payment made. And this is what, what propitiation is referring to there. That Jesus Christ was the satisfaction of God's wrath. So our thought often comes in, in the form of, of, of how much we've given ourselves to God. And God is saying to us, listen, you cannot display any love unless I have done it first. Okay, So recognize what I have done for you and recognize that that really all the sacrifices that you're making, all the difficult times that you're going through for me, maybe you are doing it for the right motives, but ultimately it pales in comparison to what I've done for you. So that's why he, the, the Scriptures, particularly the New Testament, are continually pointing us back to the cross, helping us to see that that we are nothing in comparison to what God has done for us. And that should motivate us to continue in love. So we should love others because, it is because of the example of God. We should also love others because it is commanded by God. It is expected by God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, here's the command or the appeal, we also ought to love one another. Look back at verse 7. This is the command. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And then down to verse 21. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We should love each other because it is commanded of God. God has demanded it of us that we should love each other, that we should give of ourselves, that the regular pattern of our lives is that we give of ourselves for the benefit of others. That is the point of love. It's not so that we can receive some sort of praise or that uh, people can recognize us and and say what a great person of love we are. The point of love is for the benefit of the other person, or in this case, the body of Christ. It's for the benefit of the body so that we are all built up in in our most holy faith. So, um, we have this commandment. Now, this is not the only place that John refers to this, this idea. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10 because he says really this is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A person who loves really displays that they're a true believer. A person who does not love can't, has no really genuine claim of, of being a believer. Chapter 2, verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Turn to chapter 3 and verse 14. Here's how we can have assurance of our salvation. John gives it to us very clearly here in chapter 3 verse 14. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We could say, we know that we are believers. How, John? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. That is spiritual death. You want to know if you are really a believer. Ask yourself the question, am I a person who loves other people? We talked about uh, how that's displayed. There's lots of ways that we can display our love for others. Often our love is displayed when other people show love to us. Then we love them back. But Jesus says in, in Luke that even unbelievers do that. I mean, who doesn't love those people who love them? Everybody does that. Okay? That doesn't make you a believer. That doesn't mean that you can have assurance of salvation. The, the real assurance of salvation comes when you are loving people that are doing things that you don't really you normally would not like, or they are actually your enemy. Okay, obviously that hopefully is not the case within the local church, but that's really a, a godly display of love, loving people who are unlovely, and you will find people like that in the local church. Don't look around, okay? Get yourself into trouble. But but uh, but uh, but what John is saying is that that ultimately our love for others is displayed in giving up. Of our uh, what we would normally prefer for the sake of the other person, and if you want to know if you really are a true believer, ask yourself: Do I love like Jesus loved? So we should love because it's expected by God, but it's also an expression of God. Verse twelve. Verse twelve says, "No one has seen God at any time." If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. John is reaffirming the statement that no one has seen God at any time. He says this also in John chapter 1, verse 18, the Gospel of John. People have seen partial revelations of God. Um, there were times when they saw um, the, the pillar of fire or there were times when they saw the the, the small end of, of the back of... Um, the glory of God, and so on. But no one has actually seen God. To see God would be something quite amazing. And really, the best expression of God was when Jesus came to the earth. When, when Jesus came to the earth, that would be the closest we could get to seeing God. Jesus was the best representation of who God is. But obviously, Jesus is gone now. He no longer lives on this earth. And so now what John is saying here. This is really exciting. The best manifestation of God's love is the local church. He's saying that no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God's love abides in us. And so the manifestation of God in our age really is the love within the body of Christ through the church that that God... Has bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that you are a display of God's glory when you love? When you love other people, you display God's glory unlike uh, anything else in this age. And really, the only thing that surpassed that revelation of God through your love was when Jesus Christ was here on the earth. God wants to reveal Himself to His creation. And the vehicle that He has used to do that, to reveal Himself, is through the love of the church. People should, when they come into our church, they should see that, wow, these people are forgiving people of each other. They they give of themselves to each other without thought of return. That should be a natural thing that happens in our church. That should be a natural thing that happens in every church. And that is because It is part of the expression of God, how God expresses Himself to the church and to the world. But obviously, the essential nature of God um, cannot be seen directly. We can't see God face to face, but we can see His we can we can see His um, His characteristics through the love of the church. God's love is expressed in how sinners love each other. We are all sinners saved by grace and God displays His love through us. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. Those who have God in them are the ones who do it. And at the end of the verse, it says that God's love is made perfect. It is perfected in us. What exactly is that referring to? Well, the perfection I think is the idea... Basically, of coming to completion. That is, that it's, it's reached its intended goal. Obviously, our love is not a flawless love. It's not perfect like Jesus Christ was. But it should be reaching its intended goal in our lives. And that's the idea, that love has been perfected or, or um, made complete in us and the reason is so that we may have confidence in the day of Christ and and that's where we come to verses 13 through 16 now we see that love is the expression of our salvation and the next reason the fifth reason that we should love others is because of, it gives us assurance of salvation verses 13 through 16 by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is this gives us assurance of salvation. When we love each other, it helps us to see. It helps us to be able to check our spiritual pulse. Am I a believer? John says, check to see whether or not you love other believers. Are you giving of yourself to other believers? Now, why would, this be, why would, we, why would I say that this is a proof of salvation? Well, we've, we've already seen in verse 7 that everyone who loves is born of God. That's a phrase for sal, referring to salvation. Verse 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God. Verse 12 said, if we love one another, God abides in us. Verse 13 says, We know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And it continues. John has several other verses where he talks about this assurance of salvation. Verse 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The one who abides in love abides in God. Verse 16. Verse 20, The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, This commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, those who display love to other people can be confident that they are in God, that they are born of God, that they are not of this world, that they are not of the devil, that they are believers. We can be confident that if we are people who love other people, God has saved us. God has saved us. And that work comes through the Spirit. And that's what, why John says in verse 13, by this we know we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Now, obviously, this is a work that the Spirit does within us. He helps us to see that we are loving to other people. And His Spirit, Romans eight sixteen, testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. But this doesn't happen apart from love. This is something that every believer should be doing. They're not independent of each other. Love in a believer's life is produced by the Spirit, and the Spirit confirms that in our hearts. And now we come to verses 14-16, through and it shows us that the result of our faith is that God dwells in us. Now in these verses, John subtly moves from the topic of love to the topic of belief in Christ. And I think he's just trying to show basically the relationship that there is between love and a confession of faith. These two should be interacting. They should be one and together. They should not be mutually exclusive. And so he says, uh, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. So we can be confident that if we have a proper belief in Christ that we will love. If we love, we will have a proper belief in Christ. We will continually grow in both of those areas. So believers who love constantly bear in mind the truth of God's love. And that's the point of the confession of faith there in verses 15 and 16. The final reason for why we should love each other is because it gives us assurance in judgment. It gives us assurance in judgment. We find that in verse 17. Through twenty-one, By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. The confidence there that John is talking about is a sign that our love is perfected. A sign that our love is mature, that it's reached its intended goal. Now, because of that love, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. And that's why he goes on in verse 18 to talk about um, the lack of fear that we should have or the, the absence of fear, I should say. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. John is talking about that day when we stand before Christ and give an account for everything that we've done. There will be many people who will stand fearful of their situation because they have not lived a life of love. They have not lived a genuine Christian life. And that's because they never had spiritual life in the first place. But those who do love at the day of judgment will have no fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. And so that we can stand at the day of judgment confidently and stand before God saying not because of my love necessarily that I stand here, but I know that that's one of the proofs that You did a work in me. It wasn't because I love that I stand here, but it's because of my love that I know I can stand here with confidence. That's the point. And uh, love and fear really in this life are, are exact opposites. Okay? They don't seem to, to really correlate in any way. It's, it's hard to see what John is talking about Love and fear. Why would, why would you say love and hatred? Or um, fear and confidence? Why love and fear? Well, love is basically a diminishing of one's self-concern and a heightened awareness for others. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. That we think about the other person first. That's love. Fear really is the opposite of that. Fear is, is the idea of thinking of ourself. It's a heightened sense of our own concern. I mean, think about the times when you've been most afraid. Who are you afraid for? Generally, gen- generally it's not other people. It's generally for your own safety or for your own concern. And uh, that's what fear is. Fear is not something that's from God. In fact, God says, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fear comes from Satan. And, uh, and from our flesh, and so we have to guard against it. So fear and love are opposites, and really, they work adversely. The more that we love people, the more we have a heightened awareness, a heightened concern for other people, the less we fear. Because we're not thinking about ourselves. I mean, have you ever met a depressed person? Have you ever met somebody who was just so down in the dumps that they? what did they talk about when you talked to them? Do they talk about other people and different concerns that they have for those people? What do they talk about? They talk about themselves. They are so fearful and distressed of, what, of what's going to happen to them that they have no really care for anything else that's going on around them. And that's why I say fear and love work, work uh, uh, oppositely or adversely. So the more fear we have, the less love. The more love we have, the less fear we have. And so that should not be um, a surprise to us that when we stand before judgment, it's based on the the amount of love that we've displayed um, that God will give us confidence in that day of judgment because He has allowed us to be able to display a heart of love to other people. So, we ought to, um, to give of ourselves to other people. And um, if we love, we will have confidence. We will be able to stand before Christ without fear, without any shame. We'll be able to to, to, um, to stand with confidence. And so now we come to verse 19-21 through 21 that gives us a summary of why believers should love. I think verse 19 tells us because God loved us first. We love, why? Because He first loved us. Verse 20 says... We should love because it's an assurance of our salvation. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then verse 21 gives us this final command to love. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I want to focus then on verse 20 there. It says, the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if we have trouble loving people within this body of believers, if we have trouble giving of ourselves, having a heightened uh, concern and awareness for people within this assembly, then how can we love God whom we have not seen? And John has, has stated this over and over again. He says, listen, don't keep saying... It's not about what you say, about how much love you have for God. The the assurance really comes in understanding, certainly, the promises of God, what God has promised to us. But also, it comes as we display our love for others, as we give of ourselves to others, as we follow God in obedience. That's when the real assurance comes. It doesn't come when we say, oh, well, I I know God because I, I just know Him, or because I've always known Him. John says, listen, don't tell me you know God. Don't tell me that you love God unless you love other people. That's really the proof. The proof really is in the pudding. It's, it. It depends on how we act as a body of believers to one another. And so the point of this passage is that we should love one another. No matter what the cost, that's the point of love, that we are giving of ourselves even when it costs us something, no matter what the consequences are, we ought to give of ourselves to others. Sometimes it's, dig, it's difficult, certainly, to dig down deep and love other people. But the more we get a view of God and what He has done for us, and that's why I say we have to have uh, continually, we have to continually be looking at the cross. That's why I think the Lord's Supper is so important that we regularly regularly have a time where we honor God in this way, where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's why you see the teaching about the cross repeated over and over again even long after Jesus was gone. It's because we can never remove from our minds, we should never, be distanced from the cross. We should always keep that in the forefront of our minds of what God did for us on Calvary. And that should give us motivation to love other people. The way that we display our love for God is not by lots of kind words to God or or, uh, something like that. The, The way that we display our love for other people is by giving of ourselves to others. That's the way that we do it. I have for you there a quote from David Livingston. I'm going to read the first part of the quote and then you'll see where um, the second paragraph is where your quote comes in. It says, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthy, healthful activity?" the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of glorious destiny hereafter. And then this is where yours begins. Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the Spirit to waver and sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I've never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which He made who left His Father's throne on high to give Himself for us. See, David Livingston recognized that what he was offering to God was really just the smallest repayment that he could give back to him. Sometimes we focus too much on our, our activity, our ability, instead of on what God has done for us. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies why we, we lack motivation oftentimes to do God's work. Therein is the problem of why we lack motivation to love other people who, quite frankly, can be unloving at times. It's because we are keeping at the forefront of our minds our own uh, abilities, our own activity, when we should be looking at what God has done for us. That's why it's so critical to keep the cross in view. The more we get a view of the cross, the more we will be able to love. And so I would suggest to you that, that perhaps the best way to do that is obviously to be involved in the local church, to be committed to it, to be active in it, to be learning from other people within it, but also to be spending time on your own in the Word. Finding out more about this this profound mystery of the cross. Why would God do something like this? And I personally think that for all of eternity we will be asking that question. We will be asking, "Why, God? Why did you do something like this? Why would you save us when we were so unworthy? We deserved your judgment." And that really, when when it grips us, when that truth grips us, it will motivate us to love other people. I mean, the least we can do. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter twenty. Um, he. We have the servant who goes out and, and asks for, for his master to forgive him of this huge debt, this enormous debt. And the master gladly does it. He says, Sir, sure, you can be forgiven of this debt. So now he's, his slate is wiped clean. What does he do? He has a servant who owes him a, smaller, a much smaller amount of money, a minute amount of money, and he goes to him and he says, pay it back. Pay it all back. And he shakes them and he goes to choke them and he says, I want this money. This guy could have easily paid this back in a short period of time. He could have just been patient with them. But instead of being merciful, he was not willing to forgive the debt. And the point of that parable that Jesus gives is that those who are truly forgiven, those who really understand what God has done for them, will forgive other people. And so I say to you that the same thing is true with love. Those who truly understand God's love for them will display love for others. And so if if you fail in that area, I'm sure we we all do. We all have ways in which we can improve in loving others. But if you are weak in that area, then I wouldn't say that you need to, you know, you need to change, you got to wait for that person to change or maybe when I get more mature that'll happen you need to get a better understanding, a better grip on what God did for you on the cross. Recognize the example that He set for you by giving of His Son. And when we do, when we truly understand what God did for us, that He forgave us, that we should be also willing to forgive others and to love them. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we stand amazed in Your presence. We stand amazed at what You did for us on the cross by giving of Your Son, Jesus Christ, as the eternal payment for our sins. And we recognize that we should have been up on that cross in His place. And although we did not deserve to be forgiven, we did not deserve to receive Your mercy, we did not deserve Your grace, You gave it to us gladly so that we could display Your glory in the church that You have designed to show Your love. And we pray that You'd help us to do that. Certainly, we are weak in this area at times. And we need the strength that You supply. We need the power of Your Spirit. We need Your Word to work through us. So we pray that You would help us in this way. Help us to love each other even when it's difficult, even when it costs us something. And uh, Lord, we pray that You'd help us not to do it with a motivation so that we can get something out of it in return because ultimately that's not love. But that we would do it in a way that would be satisfying to Your great glory and Your name. We pray this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.